Good morning, Summit Church Online. Pastor Wayne here from Summit Church of Sedalia. Hope you can make it this morning. Come on down to 4240 North Perry Park Road. This is what it looks like. You'll see a little banner yeah. on the driveway wow. and a little sign. It says 1030. We'd love to have you come in person. Of course, if you can't make it in person, come join us here online, right up, right on this feed, wherever you're watching it on. I'm on several platforms today. If you will, share this link with a friend. Pastor Wayne H. everywhere. Um, we're on Facebook, YouTube, Periscope, Twitter, LinkedIn, Twitch, Instagram, and now, just recently, we're on Rumble. So we're adding different platforms. We'd love to have you. So uh, share this link with a friend. We're going to get started in five minutes. So this is your five-minute warning. Grab a coffee, grab a Bible, grab a notebook and a friend. Invite a friend, and we'll see you real soon. All right. Good. How are you? You ready, you ready to do the scripture thing? find a cold cup of coffee somewhere at some point today.
Sing joy to the world. Anybody happy? Anyone happy today? Anyone to be make yourself happy in the Lord? Bring the sacrifice of praise. Well, sing with me. Joy to the world. The
mighty good singing here. We're getting you warmed up. We're getting you warmed up. It's good. Let's open with prayer and just welcome God's spirit to be with us. Lord, we love you. We honor you. We thank you that Christmas is a joyful time. It's a time when we can be a little silly. We can remember what it was like to be a child. We can rest in your arms and remember that you already gave us so much. You gave us the greatest gift of all, your son, Jesus. That's what we celebrate today. We want to want you to come and have your way in this place. And Lord, as we finish up our New Testament series this month, Father, I pray that you would just speak through your word today. And may we be prepared for the second coming of Christ. Because Lord, we know that you are coming soon. You said, I'm coming. I'm, I'm bringing my reward with me. And so Lord, we're not afraid of that day. We're looking forward to that day. And until then, we want you to move. Move among us. Move in this church. Move in Douglas County. Move in Castle Rock. Move in Highlands Ranch. Move in Sedalia. Yes, move in Castle Pines, we pray. Throughout this area, throughout this valley, Father, all of the Denver, South Denver metro region, would you just use us to be a blessing to the people around us and to bring that love and the light that Christmas is supposed to be all about. Well, this is not a Christmas song, but I love it. It's a good worship song. Mountains are still being Strongholds are still being used. God, we
gave it to me. <laughs> yeah, I know. He gave it to you too. Uh, anyway, I am going to let God speak today. I'm just going to read his words from, <coughs> excuse me, 1 John chapter 4, and I'm going to start with verse 9. And it says, God showed how much he loved us by sending his one and only son into the world so that we might have eternal life through him. This is real love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. Dear friends, since God loved us that much, we surely ought to love each other. No one has ever seen God, but if we love each other, God lives in us, and his love is brought to full expression in us. Think about that one. Uh, this is the word of our Lord. Thanks to you. Yeah. Sure, you can plan for the word of God. There's nothing better than that other than Jesus himself, right, who is the word of God. This song is called The Blessing. And I want to sing it over you, and I want, I want you to sing along and just, you know, receive it as a blessing and sing it over you and your family if they're here today. Turn. 
Facebook page. Send and 100% of what you give by text will go to the ministry. You can also mail your gift to Summit Church at 200 South Wilcox Street, Box 243, Castle Rock, Colorado 80104. Glad you're here today. Share this link with a friend. Grab your Bible and a notebook and a pen, and uh, let them know that the Bible's about to start. The study's about to start. We're returning to the Book of Revelation, chapter nine. Awesome. Well, Merry Christmas, everybody. I love the Christmas. I said Merry Christmas, everybody. Okay, good. Some of you are awake. Some of you are awake. That's good. Some of the rest of you, I don't know what to say. I don't know what to say. Wake up, wake up. It's Christmas time. It's not Christmas morning yet, but it's also not Christmas Eve. So <laughs> I don't know what to say. Wake up. Get your cup of coffee. Do what you ever have to do. Turn in your Bible with me to Revelation chapter 9. We've been doing a study of the book of Revelation, and a lot of people are like, why are you studying the book of Revelation at Christmas? Well, long story, everybody. Uh, <laughs> we felt like we were supposed to teach through chapter and verse of the Bible this year. So we committed to doing five chapters a Sunday, 
Matthew through Revelation. So every Sunday we're getting, we've gotten through, hey, we're almost done. We're here in December. And here we are at the end of the book. We're at the end of the book of Revelation. We will have a Christmas Eve service with a Christmas Eve, a Christmas message, okay? But we're wrapping up our New Testament series. And this, we're just been very methodical about getting through the New Testament. And by the way, there's a lot of Christians that do the kamikaze method of Bible study. You ever seen something? You've gone, they just flip it, flip it open, whatever it says, that's what God's trying to say to me. Guess what? That's not a very effective, that's not actually a system for studying the Bible. That's uh, just random, weird, uh, just whatever it says. Maybe, sometimes that could be God speaking to you, but I wouldn't count on it every time, right? And so it's good for us to get the whole Bible because the Bible says of itself that the whole Bible is useful for us to train and instruct us in godliness and it teaches us how to live and what we're supposed to do with our lives and exposes the thoughts and the attitudes of the heart. It's like sharper than a two-edged sword. It comes down between joints and marrow and, and it shows whether we're really submitted to God or not. In fact, the way I like to say it is, you don't read your Bible. Your Bible reads you. <laughs> it exposes you. And you start going, oh, yeah, I think I need to change in this area. I think God would have me do some, do some things differently. So uh, here's what we're going to do. We're, I'm, I'm trading off with a few different readers here today. Um, and so I'm, gonna st I'm just going to pick up reading in Revelation chapter 9. I've titled the talk here today, The Three Woes and 666. How many of you ever heard that, that, that reading of 666? Well, we're, that's in the reading today. And we're going to just talk a little bit about the mystery 666. What is that all about? And again, we're not to be fearful, right? We're to trust the Lord. We need to have a healthy respect for God, but not to be terrified of God. A healthy fear of the Lord is good. So here's what it says in Revelation chapter 9, verse 1. The fifth trumpet brings the fifth terror. Then the fifth angel blew his trumpet, and I saw a star that had fallen to the earth from the sky. And he was given the key to the shaft of the bottomless pit. When he opened it, smoke poured out as though from a huge furnace, and the sunlight in the air turned dark from the smoke. Then locusts came from the smoke and descended on the earth, and they were given power to sting like scorpions. They were told not to harm the grass or plants or trees, but only the people who did not have the seal of God on their foreheads. If you remember from our reading last week, God came down and sealed every believer. There was a seal of the Lord and all the believers. And this is what we believe, what we speak of is the tribulation saints. These are the people who become Christians after the rapture of the church. So there's going to be a great catching of the way of the dead in Christ and those who are alive and remain that are in Christ. When Christ comes back to rapture or to catch away his church, how many know there's a lot of people going to go, oh no, those Christians were right, right? A lot of those people will convert then. They'll go, oh no, oh no. And then they will convert, and then God is going to mark those who believe. They're, they're what we call or refer to as the tribulation saints. And so verse, um, the seal in there, he's protecting those with the seal in the foreheads. Verse 5, he said, they were told not to kill them, but to torture them for five months. And the pain, like the pain of a scorpion sting. In those days, people will seek death, but will not find it. How horrible. They will long to die, but death will flee from them. The locusts looked like uh, horses prepared for battle. They had what looked like gold crowns on their heads. Their faces looked like human faces. 
They had hair like women's hair and teeth like the teeth of a lion. They wore armor made of iron, and their wings roared like an army of chariots rushing into battle. They had tails that stung like scorpions, and for five months they had the power to torment people. Their king is the angel from the bottomless pit. His name in Hebrew is Abaddon, and in Greek, Apollyon, the, the destroyer. The first terror is past, but look, two more terrors are coming. The sixth trumpet brings the second terror. The sixth angel blew his trumpet, and I heard a voice speaking from the four horns of the, golden, of the gold altar that stands in the presence of God. And the voice said to the sixth angel who held the trumpet, release the four angels who are bound at the great Euphrates River. And then the four angels who had been prepared for this hour and day and month and year were turned loose to kill one third of all the people on earth. And I heard the size of their army, which was 200 million mounted troops. And in my vision, I saw the horses and the riders sitting on them. The riders were, wore armor with fiery red and dark blue and yellow. The horses uh, had heads like lions and fire and smoke and burning sulfur billowed from their mouths. One third of all the people on the earth were killed by these three plagues by the fire and smoke and burning sulfur that came from the mouth of the horses. Their power was in their mouths and in their tails, for their tails had heads like snakes with the power to injure people. But the people who did not die in these plagues still refused to repent of their evil deeds and turn to God. They continued to worship demons and idols made of gold, silver, bronze, stone, and wood, idols that can neither see nor hear nor walk. And they did not repent of their murders, or their witchcraft, or their sexual immorality, or their thefts. Doesn't that sound like human nature? Very stubborn. Even when God's answer is right in front of us, we go, no, 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 I'll do it my own way, thank you very much. I'll call the shots. I don't care what you say, God. I don't care what your book says. I'll do it my way. Isn't that human nature? And no, no matter how bad it gets, some people will never relent. Some people will never surrender. Some people will never humble themselves and come to a place of reliance on the Lord. And it's so tragic. They could turn and live if they would just surrender. Because, frankly, your life's not that great anyway, right? It's, you think it's so good doing it your way. Well, why don't you try doing it his way for a change? Why don't you turn your life over and see what God can make out of it? And yet many won't. We see that this is, a, this is prophetic. This is speaking of a future time. I did speak about how do we read Revelation? What are the different views and ways to interpret Revelation? Of course, the first way is the purely metaphorical, spiritual. It doesn't mean anything. It just all has to do with word pictures that you just apply spiritually to your life. It's kind of ethereal and it's just about your feelings. And whatever you say it means is what it means to you. Well, I don't think that's a view that I take. You could allegorize it and just try, try to turn it into a Ouija board, right? You just make the book say what you want it to say. But that's, not, that's not a view that I would take of the book of Revelation. The second view that people would have, the very more liberal scholars or more academic, less spiritual, I'd say, uh, people who study the Bible, would take a historical perspective. They would say that this, this just has meaning to the early church. It just meant something to John when he was writing it. He was writing in code to some of the people in the early church. They knew what these things meant. He knew what he was saying, but he was writing in code so people couldn't interpret what he was saying. Well, again, this, you read Old Testament prophets, much of what John is writing has already been written in the book of Daniel. 
and Ezekiel and in Jeremiah and Isaiah, like so many of the Old Testament prophets are, say, are saying these things and he's echoing what the Old Testament prophets saw. He's seeing more of that with more detail. Everybody, there's something going on that's not purely historical just for the first century church. And then the next view is the preterist view. The preterist view is, well, God is just speaking in general to his church through the seasons of history. You know, this is when you read the seven letters. It's not actually seven letters to seven churches. It's speaking about seven different types of churches throughout history and time in the, in the church. And certainly we can apply um, principles that we see in the letters to our Christian life. But I don't think you could say that overarching that these weren't letters written to the original churches. And so then we run into something that is kind of a controversy in theology, and you can disagree with me on this. You can be wrong or I can be wrong, right? But dual interpretation. We start to get in, into dangerous territory where, well, maybe it means two different things. Or maybe it has dual fulfillment. It was fulfilled once at this time and then fulfilled again. And when you start doing that, the Bible starts not meaning what it says. Right? You start imposing meaning on the text again. These things were written to seven churches. They are and like a, um, a letter of correction to Christians, to those people in that time, in that place in history. And we are meant to take these lessons and go, how does that apply to my life? Well, I need to avoid sexual immorality. I need to live as, it, you know, as the Holy Spirit purifies me and I grow as a disciple in Christ. I'm sanctified by the renewing of my mind. I'm growing more and more like Jesus as I'm in the scriptures, as I worship, as I pray, as I give, as I serve, as I step into my destiny as a person that God can use as a mom or a dad or as a business owner or as a kid, whoever, whatever position I find myself in life, that God can use my life. Certainly those things, but then my view, my interpretation of the book of Revelation is a very common evangelical view. It's called a futurist view. These are not metaphors from the first century. This is not just an allegory that means whatever the, think, the reader thinks it means. It has a definite meaning for a future time. Some of these things have, are being fulfilled and will be fulfilled. These scorpions with women's, you know, with women's hair, men's faces, you know, tails, stinging tails, um, that's crazy. I've never seen anything like that. Have you? But how many know when you see that, you'll know that that's what it was talking about, right? It would be very clear. I don't know if we're talking about robot wars here, or if we're talking about creatures from other planets. I don't know. But I'm pretty sure we're going to know it when we see it. <laughs> and we know it hasn't been fulfilled yet, right? I've heard some nonsense uh, people talk about, well, John, maybe he saw a helicopter. You know, and the women's hair was the helicopter blades, and you know, the stinging tails—that was the—that was the tail gun shooting people. Like, I, that's a stretch to to impose that kind of meaning on trying to guess what John was seeing in his vision. And I do think that many things are still yet to come. The great catching away of the church certainly has not happened yet. We haven't seen millions of people disappear off the planet. You know, in, a, in the twinkling of an eye yet. That has not yet happened. So we know the great catching away is going to precede these years of the great tribulation. We can learn that from the book of Daniel. We can learn it from John's writes here in Revelation as well. And again, when you start talking about this stuff, it's fearful. You're like, this is crazy. This is actually going to happen? Like, this is in the same book that <laughs> we read about the Bible stories about Jesus? And yeah, it's the same book. It's the same book. And... Um, 
So we read it with humility, and we go, I don't know what it all means, but we will know many of these things when we see them. So that is chapter 9, and I'm going to let Ron read you chapter 10 and do a little application. Let's hear it for Ron as he does his reading. All right, so this is Revelations 10. So the angel and the small squirrel. Then I saw another mighty angel coming down from the heaven, surrounded by a cloud with a rainbow over his head. His face shone like the sun, and his feet were like pillars of fire, and his hands was, was a small scroll, and, and it has been opened. He stood with his right foot in the sea and his left foot on land. And he gave great shouts like the roar of a lion. And when he shouted, the seven thunders answered. When the seven thunders spoke, I was about to write. But I heard a voice from heaven saying, keep secret. What the seven thunders said, and do not write it down. Then the angel I saw standing on the sea and on the land raised his right hand toward heaven. He swore an oath to the name of the one who was lived forever and ever, who created the heavens and, the, and everything in them. Then earth and everything in it and the sea and everything in it, he said, there will be no more delay. When the seven angels blows a trumpet, God's mysterious plan will be fulfilled. It will happen just as he announced to the seventh of the prophets. Then the voice from heaven spoke to me again. Go take the scroll from the hand of the angel who is standing on the sea and of the land. So I went to the angel and told him to give me the small scroll. Yes, take it and eat it, he said. It will be sweet as honey in your mouth, but, when, but will turn sour in your stomach. So I took the small scroll from the hand of the angel and I ate it. It was sweet as honey in my mouth. And when I swallowed it, it turned sour in my stomach. Then I was told, you must prophesy it again about many people, nations, language, and kings. Romans 10. Or, uh, Revelation, Revelation 10. 10. Yeah. Revelation 10. Don't forget your phone here, bro. Here you go. Awesome. Yes, so again, these, these visions get stranger and stranger <laughs> as we go. And you go, these are mysteries. We don't know exactly what all this means. We do know some there's some prophetic pictures that get repeated over and over again. And I was, when I was wrestling with this theological dilemma of dual, dual fulfillment, um, I was reminded that God does repeat patterns. You know, if you look at one of these trees out here, you know, the pine cones all are different, and yet they're all the same, aren't they? Those reticulating patterns, repeating patterns. It's like a snowflake. Well, do all the snowflakes look the same? You know, from a distance they do. <laughs> Put them on a microscope and there's not a single snowflake that's exactly the same. That's how it is with you and I, and that is, that's how it is with his word. There's going to be a single fulfillment that will be powerful, that when it happens, we can point to it and say, this is the fulfillment of that which we've read in the scriptures. And so this angel in the small scroll, this is a prophecy. When, when, when we see what, what John is writing, this isn't just coming out of his imagination. This isn't even just come from a word that he got from God. This is coming from the very throne room of God. And he's prophesying the very thoughts, the words, the will of God. He's pregnant with this small scroll, with this word of the Lord. 
that he's sharing with us in Revelation. It just gives more credence and credibility uh, to what he is saying. And uh, just speaking as someone who's been a preacher for a long time, there are many times when you're teaching the Bible or you're encouraging someone in the Lord that God will prompt you by his spirit to say something that you don't want to say. <laughs> you're like, can I not say that, Lord? And he's like, no, be obedient. Ooh, I don't want to, but I'll do what you tell me to do, Lord. And sometimes it's very inconvenient to be a Christian, right? You're like, this is hard. I'd rather not. And he's like, nope, obey me. And things always go better for me when I obey God. So um, we're going to have Kim come and read chapter 11 of Revelation. Let's hear it for Kim. Give her some encouragement, everybody. Okay, chapter 11, the two witnesses. Then I was given a measuring stick, and I was told, go and measure the temple of God and the altar, and count the number of worshipers, but do not measure the outer courtyard, for it has been turned over to the nations. They will trample the holy city for 42 months, and I will give power to my two witnesses, and they will be clothed in burlap, and will prophesy during those 1,260 days. These two prophets are the two olive trees and the two lampstands that stand before the Lord of all the earth. If anyone tries to harm them, fire flashes from their mouths and consumes their enemies. This is how anyone who tries to harm them must die. They have power to shut the sky so that no rain will fall for as long as they prophesy. And they have the power to turn the rivers and oceans into blood and to strike the earth with every kind of plague as often as they wish. When they complete their testimony, the beast that comes up out of the bottomless pit will declare war against them and he will conquer them and kill them, and their bodies will lie in the main street of Jerusalem, the city that is figuratively called Sodom and Egypt, the city where their Lord was crucified. And for three and a half days, all peoples, tribes, languages, and nations will stare at their bodies. No one will be allowed to bury them. All the people who belong to this world will gloat over them and give presents to each other to celebrate the death of the two prophets who had tormented them. But after three and a half days, God breathed life into them, and they stood up. Terror struck all who were staring at them. Then a loud voice from heaven called to the two prophets, Come up here. And they rose to heaven in a cloud as their enemies watched. At the same time, there was a terrible earthquake that destroyed a tenth of the city. 7,000 people died in that earthquake, and everyone else was terrified and gave glory to the God of heaven. The second terror is past, but look, the third terror is coming quickly. The seventh trumpet brings the third terror. Then the seventh angel blew his trumpet, 
and there were loud voices shouting in heaven. The world has now become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and he will reign forever and ever. The 24 elders sitting on their thrones before God fell with their faces to the ground and worshiped him, and they said, we give thanks to you, Lord God, the Almighty, the one who is and who always was. For now you have assumed your great power and have begun to reign. The nations were filled with wrath, but now the time of your wrath has come. It is time to judge the dead and reward your servants, the prophets, as well as your holy people and all who fear your name, from the least to the greatest. It is time to destroy all who have caused destruction on the earth. Then in heaven, the temple of God was opened and the ark of his covenant could be seen inside the temple. Lightning flashed, thunder crashed and roared and there was an earthquake and a terrible hailstorm. Yeah, there's some, some interesting interpretations to this. Again, there are lots of questions about these things. Um, we're not exactly sure. When you're confused by a passage, you should just take a passage at its face value and not try to impose meaning into it that's not there. If the passage interprets itself, then that is the plain interpretation. This one doesn't have a plain interpretation other than what we have in other scriptures that we can look at. My personal belief is that these two prophets are Elijah and Moses. Elijah was taken up into heaven in a chariot of fire, never died. In fact, he's one of the Old Testament prophets. They never buried him, never passed away. He went straight from this earth, just like Enoch in Genesis, went straight into the presence of God. And so he will come back. And what did Elijah, how did Elijah deal with Jezebel in his day? He called down fire from heaven, remember? Killed all the prophets of Baal. And his, his altar was consumed by the fire from God that came down from heaven. What is this prophet bringing? He's bringing lightning and fire from heaven. He's calling it down. Sounds like Elijah to me. And then the other prophet, he's turning water into blood. Who, who turned water into blood in the Old Testament? Moses, yeah. Moses was one of the prophets of Israel that never got to enter Israel. Moses never got to physically stand, stand in Jerusalem. He only saw it from afar, from a distance. And we know that there was a, uh, the angels uh, from another uh, story or another book in the Jewish um, Tanakh is that the angels uh, fought over Moses' body. So there's a belief that Moses was physically, his body was taken up into heaven, that he's, his bones are not on the earth, right? he's actually in the very presence of God, and God will resurrect Moses and send Elijah and Moses back down. Another, another thing that makes me believe this is that story, remember the Mount of Transfiguration, where Jesus is on top of the mountain, and there are two prophets, one on his right and one on his left, and they're glowing and they're enveloped in a cloud. Who are the two prophets that are standing with Jesus? Elijah and Moses. They're trans-dimensional prophets coming from heaven, approving of Christ. And you know that God exists outside of time? It could be that 
for God, for these guys, it's just in a moment of time. In heaven, zoom, zoom, zoom. Here's Jesus. Okay, here's the end of the world. Here you go, Moses. Here you go, Elijah. Here's your job. Boom, boom, boom. It might have just felt happened for them like that. And for us, history is unfolding because we live inside of God's time. It's fascinating to think about. That's my theory, but I could be dead wrong. I don't know. Some people think that the two prophets are Israel and the church. That maybe, perhaps, the, this is all a metaphor. That the three and a half days are referring to the three and a half years of tribulation. And that Israel and the church are going to be uh, laid waste and then will be brought back to life halfway through the tribulation. I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> you don't know either. And anybody that talks as if they know, I know that I know. No, you don't. No, you don't. We're going to find out when it happens. It'll be fulfilled when it happens. So let's take a tier to chapter 12. Are you fascinated by this study like me? It's wild, isn't it? It's unbelievable. Um, Anne was going to read this, but she got sick today. So be praying for Anne and Carl. But uh, the woman and the dragon, chapter 12. Then I witnessed in heaven an event of great significance. I saw a woman clothed in the sun and with the moon beneath her feet and a crown of 12 stars on her head. She was pregnant and she cried out because of her labor pains and the agony of giving birth. And then I witnessed in heaven another significant event. I saw a large red dragon with seven heads and 10 horns with seven crowns on his heads. His tail swept away one third of the stars in the sky and he threw them to the earth. And he stood in front of the woman as she was about to give birth, ready to devour her baby as soon as it was born. And she gave birth to a son who was to rule all nations with an iron rod. And her child was snatched away from the dragon and was caught up to God and to his throne. And the woman fled into the wilderness where God had prepared a place for her uh, for, for 1260 days. And then there was war in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon and his angels, and the dragon lost the battle, and he and his angels were forced out of heaven. This great dragon, the ancient serpent called the devil, or Satan, the one who's deceiving the whole world, was thrown down to earth with all his angels. And then I heard a loud voice shouting across the heavens, it has come at last, salvation and power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ. For the accuser of our brothers and sisters has been thrown down to earth. The one who accuses them before our God day and night, and they have defeated him by the blood of the lamb and by their testimony. And they did not love their lives so much that they were afraid to die. Therefore, rejoice, O heavens, and you who live in the heavens, rejoice. But terror will come on the earth and the sea, for the devil has come down to you in great anger, knowing that he has little time. When the dragon realized that he had been thrown down to earth, he pursued the woman who had given birth to the male child, and she was given two wings like those of a great eagle, so she could fly to the place prepared for her in the wilderness, and there she would be cared for and protected from the dragon for a time, times, and half a time. Again, that's um, another way of saying three and a half years. Then the dragon tried to drown the woman with a flood of water that flowed from his mouth, but the earth helped her by opening its mouth and swallowing the river that gushed out from the mouth of the dragon. And the dragon was angry at the woman and declared war in, against the rest of her children, all who keep God's commandments and maintain their testimony for Jesus. And then the dragon took his stand on the shore beside the sea. I, I've heard it described this way. Have you ever been to a wild party, a wild pool party? 
Have you ever seen, you ever seen somebody that you know is going to get thrown in the pool? We, I used to go to wild pool parties. You know what is the guy who's going to get thrown in the pool? Know what he wants to do? He wants to pull all of you in the pool with him, right? You, you can lift him, but he's holding on to you as you're throwing him in. He, you're going with the guy who's going in the pool. That's the devil. He's the guy at the pool party that's going in. <laughs> and he wants to pull in as many people as he can with him as he goes in. He knows that his time is short. And again, this time of tribulation is speaking of a day. We think things are tough now. Imagine losing one out of three people in the entire earth. Imagine all these things in nature happening. And right now, we live in such a way, you look, read the book of Job, that Satan can actually have face-to-face conversations with God. He can go up and down. He can be in the earth. He can be with God. He hasn't been cast into hell yet. You know, notice that the earth is not perfect. Well, a lot of that is because of his schemes and his, his evil plans and the evil people doing the, the things that he's tempted them to do. But God's going to finally say, enough. You don't get to come up here anymore. You can't even talk to me. Now you're just in the earth and your time is short. Aren't you glad that one day God is going to beat up that bully forever? Right? That's good news. That's good news. And that brings us to the beast out of the sea. There's so many more things that I can say about this. And of course, we, I think a great Bible study, there's so many great Bible study helps on these, uh, the book of Revelation. Um, but just know we, we are serving a victorious Savior. And the devil is a defeated foe. And we win. We win, everybody. Chapter 13, the beast comes out of the sea. Then I saw a beast rising up out of the sea. I had, it had seven heads and ten horns and ten crowns in its horns. And this is probably referring to, to ten regions or kingdoms of the earth. That the earth will have a one world ruler and there will be ten regional authorities in the earth. And the, the seven could be the seven continents. You think about how the earth is set up. That's what the, that could be representative of. This beast looked like a leopard, but it had the feet of a bear and the mouth of a lion. And the dragon gave the beast his own power and throne and great authority. And I saw that one of the heads of the beast seemed wounded beyond recovery, but the fatal wound was healed. The whole world marveled at this miracle and gave allegiance to the beast. They worshiped the dragon for giving the beast such power. They also worshiped the beast. Those uh, who who is as great as the beast, they exclaimed, who is able to fight against him? And then the beast was allowed to speak great blasphemies against God, and he was given authority to do whatever he wanted for 42 months. And he spoke terrible words uh, of blasphemy against God, slandering his name and his dwelling, that is, those who dwell in heaven. And the beast was allowed to wage war against God's holy people and to conquer them. He was given authority to rule over every tribe and people and language and nation. And all the people who belong to this world worship the beast And they are the ones whose names were not written in the book of life that belongs to the lamb who was slaughtered before the world was made. Anyone who hears with ears to hear should listen and understand. Anyone who is destined for prison will be taken to prison. Anyone destined to die by the sword will die by the sword. This means that God's holy people must endure persecution patiently and remain faithful. Verse 31, uh, verse 11. Then I saw another beast come up out of the earth. He had two horns like those of a lamb, and he spoke with the voice of a dragon, and he exercised all authority of the first beast, and he required all the earth and its people to worship the first beast, whose fatal wound had been healed. 
He did astounding miracles, even making fire flashing down to the earth from the sky while everyone was watching. And with all the miraculous miracles that he was allowed to perform on behalf of the first beast, he deceived all the people who belonged to this world. He ordered the people to make great st a statue of the first beast who was falsely, fatally wounded and then came back to life. He was then permitted to give life to the statue so that it could speak. And then the statue of the beast commanded that everyone refusing to worship, uh, worship it must die. He required everyone, small and great, rich and poor, free and slave, to be given a mark on their right hand or on their forehead. And no one could buy or sell anything without that mark, which was either the name of the beast or the number representing his name. Wisdom is needed here. Let the one with understanding solve the meaning of the number of the beast, for it is the number of a man. Then his number is 666. That's a big one to tackle, right? And again, I don't pretend to know what all these things mean. There's been a lot of speculation throughout the church history. Some people thought that the Antichrist originally was Caesar Nero. Some people down through history thought that Hitler would be a good candidate for the Antichrist. Uh, there are many people who, who these days who think Bill Gates might be the Antichrist. I don't think Bill Gates is the Antichrist. Um, some people think that being forced uh, to take a vaccine or, uh, or to take certain uh, measures uh, is the mark of the beast. I don't think these things are the mark of the beast. I don't think people will take the mark of the beast by accident. I think it will be an act of, of volition choosing to reject God and receive this unholy trinity, the beast, the second beast, and, and Satan himself. There's, the, the devil always try to, tries to imitate God. That's what we see here is an unholy trinity. He's trying to supersede God's authority and set up his own kingdom like he's always tried to do. The devil has always tried to be you know, supreme. He wanted to take over heaven. And here he is in his last gasp, last attempts to do that on the earth. And this, this number, 666, I have a feeling it, it could be a microchip someday. It could be some sort of forced allegiance that's put upon the, the whole earth. But I don't think it's the vaccine. <laughs> I, don't think it's, I don't think it's anything that we're seeing right now. I believe what's next on the prophetic calendar for us is the rapture of the church the catching of the way of God's believers. And we may, some people think the rapture is going to happen before the seven years. Some people think it's going to happen halfway through. Some people think it'll be after the seven years. That all, None of that is a salvation issue, right? <laughs> the main thing is Jesus died for our sins. He's coming back to life again. We have a, a home, forever home with God. And these are things that we can speculate about, we can argue about, but they're not central to the doctrine of what it means to be a Christian. Did I do that okay, everybody? You okay with that? All right. I would highly recommend when you read the book of Revelation that you get a good commentary. I've been, I've been using Haley's Bible Handbook and the Tim LaHaye Left Behind um, commentary. He's, he has a great kind of color pictorial guide through the book of Revelation and through Old Testament prophecy. Because what's written here in the book of Revelation was written first about by the prophets of the Old Testament. 
And I, my dad used to love to, to study and teach on the book of Daniel. And I would say if you want to look at an Old Testament prophet that helps give validity to John's writings, study the book of Daniel, especially the book of Daniel chapter 8. Because Daniel chapter 8 begins to paint the picture of what this Antichrist, this beast of the earth, the abomination that causes desolation, where there's going to be a temple built in Jerusalem, and this, this beast, this one world leader, is going to want everyone in the world to worship him, to literally worship him, to give him everything. Give me your life, give me your money, give me your power, give me your influence. Like, you know that greed is insatiable, right? When you, you give a, t a tyrant an inch, they'll take a mile. And, it, and uh, if you ever meet a bully who wants all the toys, not just one toy, he wants all the toys. <laughs> that's what we're talking about. That's, that's the enemy. That's the sin nature. So I know you can read this or you can listen to a message like this. You're like, this is crazy. Like, this is really going to happen? I believe it's really going to happen. I don't know exactly what's, what it's going to look like. You're like. But how do I prepare? How do I get ready for that? Well, you, you could have, like, it's not a bad idea to have, you know, some food stored away. It's not a bad idea to have some extra gasoline and all those things. But I don't think that we have to prepare for seven years of tribulation. I think we're going to be raptured before then. The real way to prepare is to make sure you've made your peace with God through Jesus. Jesus has already done all the work for us. He died on a cross in your place, in my place. He took upon himself the sins of the world. And he says, just receive me. Just receive me. Open your heart to me. Let me call the shots in your life. Let me pay for your sins. And let me give you my spirit. Let me live inside of you and give you a new life, the God life. If you'll submit to God, he'll do that for you. And he will begin to give you a desire to read the scriptures, to, to be a part of the church family, to grow in your faith, and to be more like him. It's time to surrender. Like, if you look at the signs of the times now, we're getting closer and closer and closer to these things. No one can buy or sell without the mark. Like, that sounds a lot like some things that are happening in other places in the world. No one can buy or sell without certain things. Oh, whoa, 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 whoa. How do you prepare? Well, you gotta, you gotta surrender. See, God created all of us to be with him. You're made in God's image. You're made to have a relationship with God. But your sin, my sin, it just separates us from God. God is holy. And he doesn't tolerate sin. And your sin can't be paid for by doing good deeds. You can't like do enough good things to wash away your own sins. As much as money as you would give to the church or as much as you would suffer and punish yourself for, for sins, it would never be enough. Paying the price for our sin, Jesus died and he rose again so that everyone who put their trust in Christ can have eternal life. And it starts the moment you surrender. And you say, Jesus, come in. I don't want to do it my way anymore. I want you to be the Lord of my life. I want you to take charge. When you do that, you have transferred the ownership of your life. You've signed the adoption papers. I'm now a member of God's family. I'm his son. I'm his daughter. I belong to him now. And you know, I love my kids. I discipline my kids. <laughs> I tell them what they should do. I tell them what they shouldn't do. I say, hey, knock it off. That's not good. Stop hitting your sister. All those things. Come on, right? You know, God disciplines his own kids. He says, hey, I love you. Knock it off. Stop hitting your sister. <laughs> you know, be, be nice. <laughs> what are you doing? That's the old you. This is how we do it in my family. That's what God says. You're in my family now. We behave differently. 
And that's the discipleship process, right? Being holy doesn't save you, but if you get saved, you'll start acting holy. <laughs> Salvation comes because you've been adopted into God's family, and he loves you too much to let you get away with that mess anymore. Come on, somebody, right? <laughs> so if you want to give your life to Jesus, maybe you've never done that. Well, this is your moment. This is the time. The Bible says, behold, now is the acceptable time. Today is the day of salvation. Why, what are you waiting for? He's ready for you right now. Church, would you bow your heads and close your eyes with me? If you're watching the stream online today and you need to give your life to Jesus, this simple prayer I call, sorry, thank you, please. Would you pray this prayer? Just repeat after me. Say, dear Jesus, I'm sorry for my sin. Thank you for dying for me. I believe God raised you from the dead. Please forgive me of my sins. Come into my life. Be my Lord and be my Savior. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, if you prayed that prayer today, let one of your friends know here in the room or if you're online, comment, like, share, subscribe. Let us know that you have given your life to Christ. We want to put a Bible into your hands. We want to help you grow in your faith in Christ, get you plugged into a local church family. God's going to help you. He's going to grow you. Um, and uh, it's been such a fun service. And uh, only a couple weeks left of this Revelation stuff, and we're going to start the new series some of you know that we have a tradition in the church where in January we do 21 days of prayer and fasting. And uh, we have this building now, so we can do uh, some prayer and fasting times. And my hope is that somewhere in that first week of January we'll start 21 days of prayer. And you know, it was out of 21 days of prayer last year that the answer to prayer of this building came to be for us. So if God can do that during 21 days of prayer last year, what might he do during 21 days of prayer this year? Don't you think, how do you think God might be doing better and better things for us as we obey more and more and as we follow him? Yeah, I think he's going to do better things. And so I encourage you to join us for that. And uh, the Christmas Eve service will be at 5 p.m. I know some of the posters say 4, but we move that to 5. And we're doing a cookie exchange so uh, my wife was whipping up one of my grandma's ginger snap recipes last night. And if you got cookies, come on that Christmas Eve. We'll do a cookie exchange. We'll sing a bunch of Christmas carols. I got a, a special Christmas message planned for that as well. And then I, I always do a giant gingerbread display um, and I blow it up on New Year's Eve uh, with fireworks and stuff. So if you want to be a part of kind of celebration, what we do for New Year's Eve, we pray for the year. We just ask God's help and guidance for for the year. So uh, we'd love to have you be a part of those celebrations as they come as well. Stand with me and I'll let you, let you go. Father in heaven, thank you for your word. Help us not to be fearful, but to trust that you're always with us and that you're for us and not against us. Now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you. May the Lord be gracious unto you, lift your countenance and give you his peace. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. Amen. Go in peace. Serve the Lord, everybody. Glad you're here today. Say Merry Christmas to someone as you're heading out, and um, we look forward to ministry with you in the future.